Um, but first, I just wanted to introduce myself to you. I'm Jennifer Shoemaker. I'm a professor of psychology at Abilene Christian University. And um, I've studied children and adolescents and media. And a component of that, as I've been looking at how does media shape child development and who children uh, grow up thinking about, or what they grow up thinking about, who they are and who they should be. And, um, and a part of that is social media. And so that's what I wanted to talk with you about today, is this idea of social media and how it connects with the child development, but also um, our adolescents, our young adults, and we know, how many of you have social media accounts? So we know that it affects us too, right? And one of the things that we know about human beings is that we're always evolving and becoming and changing and growing. And so even as an adult, our involvement with social media will have an impact on um, on, on us and who we are and who we think we should be. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I'm going to share some information with you about how it impacts, especially children and adolescents. But we'll also be thinking about our own use. And the reason I want us to do that is because as we're working with children and adolescents, it's really important for us to think about um, our own modeling of healthy or unhealthy um, engagement with social media as well. So one of the things, I have three daughters. I have one who is 18, and she's a first-year college student at Calvin College in Michigan. One who's a 16-year-old, she's a junior in high school. And then I have a just-turned-14-year-old in eighth grade who'll be going into high school next year. And so one of the things I've been thinking about a lot as a parent is um, what do my daughters see me doing with social media? How do they see me engaging? How do they see me setting limits for my own use of it? How do they see me portraying myself or engaging with other people on it? Um, because I want to be able to talk with them about their own use by talking about what they see from me. We all have, well, my youngest doesn't have a Facebook account. The other two do, and I do. We also have Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts, and so we follow each other so we can see what's happening um, with each other on social media. And that's actually been really helpful because then I can have conversations with them about um, what did you, <laughs> my middle daughter, she's a mess, so <laughs> you guys got to have one that throws at you off, but she, so she'll, when she was younger, she would do things like set up a separate Instagram account that she thought I wouldn't know about. And of course, I always found them because I'm a mom. That's our job is, you know, to, to ferret those things out. Um, but, but we talk about, like, she'll retweet something. I'll say, you know that any college you apply to will see that unless, because Twitter's open. It's not like Instagram where you can make it private or even Facebook. And so we have those kind of conversations about, about privacy, about identity, about the, how you're um, telling your story about who you are to people um, broadly with social media. And then probably with both, with two of my daughters at least, I've had conversations with them about engaging with 
other people on social media. So those kind of, if any of you have middle schoolers, the fights that can erupt on social media and then move into their real life. Um, we've had some of that. And so we'll, we'll kind of have those conversations today about identity and authenticity. Those are kind of the two main points. And then I'm going to talk with you about some strategies that you can use to help your kids and the kids you work with start thinking about how do I portray myself, what message am I sending, and how am I engaging authentically or inauthentically with others. So I want to start with um, this video, so hopefully this will work. <laughs> so I love that video. Um, it's a classic um, psychological <coughs> test, um, but we usually do it looking at self-control. But watching it and thinking about self-control, for us, I wondered, right now, what is the marshmallow in this room? <coughs> right? Yes. It sits there and calls your name when you're trying to do something else. Um, when was the last time that you checked social media? <laughs> okay. So sometimes right before you come in. Um, do you ever find yourself doing something like um, you may be reading a book or um, washing dishes or anything and your phone is sitting near you and you feel the urge to pick it up and check social media? Does that happen to you? What are you hoping to see? Yeah, why are we looking? What is it? What is it calling to us? Uh-huh. Something that will give you satisfaction. Yes, yes. So something that we know is that this has become this, um, for, for human beings, this has become this important social feedback loop where I share something and um, when, you have, when you have approval from other people or when you have connection with other people, it increases your endorphins and it makes you feel better. And you keep doing that. And so what happens with social media is the same thing. So I might post a picture of the beautiful scenery here um, on the campus and then I share it on Instagram or Facebook and then I get all these hearts or likes or comments that are positive about what I shared. Well, then I want to do it again. And so it plays into this social feedback loop that we, we use in real life relationships, but it's changed it so that it's connecting us with people in different ways, different people, number one, in different ways and in a different time frame. So there's always this potential for that social satisfaction that you're talking about. There's always this potential for someone to say, you're so cool, I really like you, you look so pretty, or what you do is important, or whatever it is that makes us feel good. And so I think it's really important for us to think about that, that the children that we work with, 
they're growing up now <coughs> with this kind of different kind of social feedback loop. We as adults have already stepped into this. My mom is 75. She's on Facebook. She's on there all the time. And <laughs> sometimes I tell her, like, I don't think you should be posting that. Or, you know, because she doesn't always know, like, what's appropriate to share. Um, but but it's, it's giving her some connection that she's looking for. So if we can get pulled into that, what I want us to think about is who, what's happening with those kids who we're working with or who are in our lives, who are growing up with this already started. And how do we help them think about how they can use social media more effectively and in a healthy way? Because I think you can. Um, I'm not anti-media. I think it can be used in a healthy way, but I think it, you have to be really thoughtful, and we have to train our children to be really thoughtful. So that's the kind of thing that we're going to be talking about today. I, I teach a child psychology course, and I always show that video at the beginning of every semester and say, this is why we're putting our phones under the desk or in your bag or something, because otherwise we're sitting here, we have you know, an hour and 20 minutes, and you are going to be tempted multiple times to pick this up and see what's happening outside of our time. And we need our time together. That's what we're here for. And so I really try to get them to put those away so that we can have that conversation and learn and grow together. So I wanted to start off by telling you a little bit about how we develop our identities and our understanding of ourselves and the world around us. This is just a classic um, theory of child development. We start off with the individual. So who that child is to start with, their temperament, the skills and gifts that they have, um, the things that they're learning. And we move out into the different systems in their lives that affect them, that influence them in their growth and development. And so you can see What's really important for us to remember is that the very first system is what we call the microsystem, which is things like family. We don't have church in here, but that would be in here because it's those close um, communities. So schools, family, siblings, our close peers, those people that we spend a lot of time with. Those are the most influential. And then you move out this just means the mesosystem, how those all work together. So I'm going to skip over that and move out to the exosystem. Mass media, you can see, is right here. So the kinds of things that are going to influence what they think, um, the culture, um, that influences what they think about how things work. Here's bigger, larger culture. Um, what you should need to know about this system is the exosystem will start affecting them, and you'll see this. So this is interesting with social media. This starts pushing into the microsystem because of other people's connection, knowledge, and thoughts on the things that are happening in mass media. And this is especially true uh, when we think about social media use because a lot of times kids will use that to share things about, for example, celebrities that they like, um, or a new movie that they're going to see, or a television show, or a book that they like. And so you'll see this influence kind of moving back and forth. There's a lot of interaction going on. 
And the reason that's important for us to know is because sometimes we think, well, if we just teach our kids the right thing here, they'll be fine. So they will be fine, but they can be heavily influenced by what's happening out here if we're not aware of it. And out here too, our broader culture. And those conversations from the broader culture through uh, social media are moving into your child's experience. So um, think about what are some of the kind of broad cultural conversations that have been going on this past year that you think kids might have seen because of social media? Or just school shootings. Yeah. It's a huge conversation on a lot of middle school and high school campuses now and probably they're not watching the news most likely what's happening is that that conversation is coming into their lives through social media and the teenagers who were involved in the shooting in florida they are using that uh, social media purposefully to try to move that conversation what else what other kinds of of things are we talking about in the broad <coughs> culture do you think are coming into their lives through social media? Yes. On the West Coast, there was a family that drove off, <coughs> okay. you know, two, two mothers and their adopted children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, so even <coughs> stories like that that might be <coughs> localized, but they might never hear about it if they, because, I mean, I don't know that my kids have ever watched the news. They get their news from Twitter. That's where they find things. And frankly, I start doing that too. Do any of you do that? Because there's quick updates on there. And so you can see what's happening um, really quickly. During, um, right after that Boston Marathon bombing, do you all remember that? There were real time updates from the police scanner while they were chasing that suspect. And they eventually caught him. And that was all on Twitter. So our kids have figured that out too. So they're using social media, which is right here in their hands, and it's moving all of this together in a way that it just wouldn't have before. So it's a different time, and we have to be thinking about that. And how can we help them learn how to deal with those things in a way that's healthy for them? Oh, can I take a picture? Yeah. <laughs> At that angle. <laughs> this is Bronfenbrenner's bioecological system. That's what this one is called. What's it called? Bronfenbrenner, the bioecological theory. <laughs> Did you have a thought? Yeah, maybe you're going to talk about this later. I'd really be interested in what your thoughts are. <coughs> when you should, when young people should start using social media or having yes. access to social media. I don't know if that's coming through. Yes. <laughs> yes, we will talk about that. I will definitely um, do that and we can kind of think through. So I just wanted to show you, this is only a few of the many different ways that, that kids are connected these days. And um, it's unbelievable. So most of them don't use LinkedIn, although now my oldest daughter, because she's in college, she set that up. Um, but they will, they're using Twitter and Instagram heavily. They use Snapchat, which is this ghost. Um, the interesting thing about Snapchat is that things disappear 
but also you can capture them if you pay attention and want to. And so it's very tricky. Kids will think they're sharing things that only to one person and it'll be gone, and then that person might record it or take a picture of it and share it with others. So they ha you have to help them think through how they're using all of these. And I just wanted to show you that because this is just a few. And I know, so my daughters, I know, um, heavily use Twitter, Facebook a little bit. The college daughter has started using Facebook more because they use it in college for groups. Um, but my youngest, so this is kind of going to the age <coughs> question, Instagram, which is where you post the pictures and then you can put some commentary. Um, you can, in that one, you can limit who sees your account, so that's important to know. My youngest, so she's just turned 14, when she was in, I'm gonna say at least fifth grade, she may have been in fourth grade, she started wanting to use social media. And number one, she didn't even have a smartphone, so I was like, how are you gonna, on my phone? I mean, you can, I guess, and I can see what happens, but that seemed like a strange thing to wanna do. Um, and I, I was talking to her about it, why do you wanna do that? Because, you know, you're in fifth grade, and she said, everyone's on there. And I didn't believe her. I was like, oh, no, they're not. They were. So we went on on my account and started looking for her friends. And they were all on there. And they were had open accounts so anybody could talk to them. And so she and I had to have, to have a conversation about, I actually didn't let her get on at that point. Because I just didn't think she was old enough to think about how to handle, like, I don't know how many of you are on Instagram. You'll get requests from people. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that she was old enough to handle that. Like, who is this person? I mean, now I'm like, who is this person? And I'm, you know, a grown up person, and I still get confused by it. Like, the name isn't her name. Yeah. So it changes. And you're like, do I know them? And, and it's difficult. So at that point for her, I didn't let her, but I could see that a lot of her friends were using it. I think that's too young. I think, um, personally, I would wait until middle school, and then I would watch it very closely. And so I would put um, limits on it. Like, you can use this if you put it on my phone, too, and you put your password in so that I can see. And the reason I say that is because kids will get into fights. Instagram is a place where those kind of arguments start happening. And it's... It, um, because of the way social media works, it's uh, mediated communication. It's being mediated by a computer. And so what we know about that is that we tend to do things like share things we wouldn't share otherwise. It's called hyperpersonal communication. Um, when we're, we're using this kind of mediated communication. And also sometimes, now there, I'll, t I'll say this later, there are two ways you can use mediated communication. One is you just respond without thinking, um, and actually you do it quicker than you would if you were face to face with someone. So that kind of quick response can really blow a situation up with, with kids that young who, who aren't thinking about, that person probably didn't mean that. You know, when you're older, you kind of think about those things better. But the other thing that can happen, and we'll talk about this, Later is you can take so long to respond that you do a lot of editing of yourself and you 
um, have this inauthentic kind of presentation of who you are. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Did you have a I was just going to say on something like Instagram, mm -hmm. so my daughter's been using it since fifth grade. But I noticed, so she keeps it private and her friends mm -hmm. are private. So I feel okay. But there's now a section on it that pops up like suggested things you may like. Yes. And it's horrible. Yes. I mean, some of the things yes. she's saying, Mom, what's this? I'm like, oh my gosh. And if they click on that, I see this. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's kind of it's very scary. tricky because they are always evolving and so if you're not paying attention and you thought it was okay your kids may be seeing all kinds of things yeah. so I wanted to show you um, this one of the things that is interesting about social media is celebrities are using it now in different ways to promote their brand and their um, products you can see like how many followers Beyonce is one of the most popular ones, um, probably the number one, what they call influencer, celebrity influencer on social media. Then you have Selena Gomez. Just look at the numbers of these followers. So you can see like she's using Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, well she's not on there, but um, Vivo, Twitter, and then they can also use YouTube. So there's all kinds of different ways that these celebrities, and that's what I was talking about with this mix of the exosystem coming into our kids' lives in a much more intimate way than it would have before. Also want to mention that now we have what people call micro-celebrities that are emerging and making a lot of money and coming into our kids' lives through social media. Um, and these are just regular people who get online and start these, these brand kind of profiles trying to show something about themselves. They're successful, they gain a lot of followers, and then people start paying them to promote their products. And so Instagram is a big place for that, sometimes blogs. A lot of kids don't read blogs though. It's going to be more that social media that's probably where they're going to get I would say what I hear the most from kids is YouTube and Instagram. YouTube is, you have to be really careful with YouTube. Just like um, you were talking about with Instagram about things that pop up. How many of you use YouTube? So you know how when you're looking at a video on the side it says recommended videos? There are a logarithms that make certain videos come up. And you will be surprised at the kinds of things that might pop up. So I'll give you a really ridiculous example. But when my youngest daughter was very young, she loved Teletubbies. So we were looking for Teletubby shorts that were on YouTube. Well, somebody, because YouTube is crazy and sort of people can put all kinds of things on there, somebody thought it would be funny to do like this really raunchy Teletubby thing. So what they did was they took a video of Teletubbies but they dubbed it um, and so there's all these curse words and nasty things and well we didn't know that and it popped up and my daughter just clicked on it without reading the description because she was little. We were thankfully we were sitting there together and I was like, ah, you know, and I'm pressing stop and trying to get it to go away. But your kids are going to see things that you don't expect them to see if they're using Instagram, especially Instagram and YouTube. Twitter kind of, but it takes you off in a way that's a little bit different. 
So it gives them more awareness that they're leaving a site than these two. You're actually on the site still, which to a child feels like, well, mom said I could do Instagram or YouTube. So, um, so I would be really careful with those. Um, you know, think about controls. Uh-huh. When I, I'll use a lot of YouTube videos just for short videos for, you know, class and stuff. School. Yeah. And I, yeah, you just, you've got to preview it. Yes. They, and they, but they intentionally do it. You think it's a story. Right. It's yeah. like a satire. They're trying to convince you this is, this didn't really happen. Yes. And it's, it can, it can get, if it can get us, it's going to get those kids that are on there. Yeah, I have a, I'm a children's minister and I have a program at church called SOS, which stands for Showing Our Savior. And I had made a video of all that we had done that year and I told the kids I was going to show them this video and I typed in SOS and up pops Secrets of Sex. Oh. <laughs> I did this. I mean, I was like, in child psychology teaching all kinds of things that I didn't mean to put up yeah. and yeah it's one of those where you're like I'm so sorry yeah. uh -huh. <laughs> who is she? this woman she's the global director of social media at this institute so they study social media and social media use and they're doing it mostly because they're thinking about um, how do brands use social media and what they've done here with these micro celebrities is they've started, like they'll send them stuff. So, hey, do a feature on this new um, soda or whatever. And then they'll do that on their Instagram story and they get paid for it. But, but the kids who are watching it don't understand that. They just think they're learning about this person. And because of the way it does feel intimate, like most of the people that I'm talking to on social media I know, so then when I start following this person, it introduces this kind of false level of intimacy. So it's like, well, I know her. Well, you don't obviously know her. Um, but it's very interesting, just kind of psychologically, how all of those things are starting to mix up in a, in a child's mind, especially. As an adult, we can kind of think through. Our young adults, and even our adolescents can start thinking through, wait a minute, that person's getting paid to sell that. Maybe, um, so my middle daughter follows some, I can't even, like a lifestyle, um, not a blogger, <laughs> blogger, so doing stuff on Instagram and YouTube. And she said, have you ever noticed, of course I don't watch it, so like, no, I haven't noticed it. Have you ever noticed that so-and-so is always doing, like she never does peanut butter. It's always almond butter or, you know, this certain kind of water. So she was starting to figure out like, oh, I'm seeing a theme of these products. And she was probably 13 at that time because we had been talking about this kind of stuff, about advertising. Um, that helped her kind of be more aware of that. So you do, you have to bring that into their conversations, into their thoughts, where they can start thinking about this isn't someone I know. This is someone who is getting paid to try to sell me things. So I wanted to just mention, and then we'll kind of move into talking about some of these, the benefits and challenges. I mean, one of the benefits is that it can increase opportunities for learning. So there are um, YouTube channels to learn how to do things. I, I use those. I'm sure that you do too. 
My middle daughter is studying cosmetology. Her school has a cosmetology program, and she loves watching those makeup videos. Like she's learned to do all kinds of things on there. So it can give you that. It can connect you with people um, in new relationships or extend relationships when someone moves and give you the chance to stay connected. So, um, so like Amy and I know each other from social media. We only see each other ever at Pepperdine. <laughs> we both come to the same lecture. I know. It's and you know we so we have those kinds of relationships. It's like I know her, um, but we don't see each other in person very often. So this can be a way to build those and build new skills as we're learning. But there are those challenges. Um, it can interfere with emotional intelligence development. So I'm sure the reason I put this background on here is because I'm sure we have all seen the group of teenagers standing together. You know, like they're not looking at each other. They're not talking to each other. Um, they're missing out on some face-to-face -face skill building that they would have if they put those phones down. So that can be a problem. And, and because of that, it can interfere with developing those face-to-face -face relationships. It's easier, <laughs> so this is funny, I was talking to um, my oldest daughter when she went off to college, and she really had to think about this because she didn't know anyone where she was going. She just decided she was moving to Michigan and going to this college where she had nobody she knew, and she said it would have been really easy or safe in some ways to stay here and connect with her friends back in Texas. But she knew that if she did that, she wouldn't be building the relationships and face-to-face -face that she needed to be building to really have a life there. And so she, she really purposely, you know, didn't engage with her friends back home, even through texts and things. Um, and it was hard, but it helped her with this. And then, of course, it can distract from the meaningful or important work. Like we were talking about earlier, maybe you're in the middle of writing your masterpiece and you've got the phone over here and it's going, wonder what's happening on Facebook. Wonder if anybody gave a heart to my Instagram post, you know? And you're missing out on doing that important work and growing and learning in the ways that you could. And, and that's for us, but also for our kids. So we wanna really help them take the benefits, grow and, and move forward with those, but think about how do we engage this conversation. And of course, another challenge is they're exposed to things we didn't want them to be exposed to, and they didn't even plan to be exposed to. So I told you there are two areas I wanted to talk with you about, uh, authenticity and identity. So I think it's really important that we think about what the implications are of our engagement on social media, in particular, um, on our authentic um, development and our authentic representation of who we are to other people. And I'll give you an example. So if I'm going to share a picture of me with my family or me up here, you know, if I'm sitting there like heavily editing it, so that I look totally different than I do in real life, I think that says something about my authentic representation of myself. 
And as a 47-year-old person, there are lots of things I would like to edit. But I actually don't think I should. I mean, spiritually, you know, I think that does something to me to constantly be editing myself. And I know that's hard. <laughs> it is. It's hard to even say. But I think it's important. And I think as we talk to our kids about that, too, um, we need to help them think about that. Are you trying to depict yourself as different than who you really are physically or emotionally or socially? And if so, why? Are you unsatisfied with yourself in some way? And, and then what do you do about that if you are? We need to think about that. Instead of just saying, I'm just going to edit it. <laughs> you know, I'll make it go away. Because it doesn't. And I'm still the same person in real life. And so I think that's something we really have to think about. And then from a psychological perspective, I'm always thinking about this identity question. How is my identity formed and experienced? And does that look different on uh, the internet and through social media? than it does in real life. So I'm just going to give you um, some examples of identity. There's these four areas that, well wait, five, <laughs> that we see being influenced, um, how we present ourselves. And there's, uh, the first one is self-presentation. This is how I'm presenting myself, and it's designed to communicate a particular impression, so to like accentuate certain um, things about me, characteristics, and conceal others. So um, one quote that I found in the research about this said, people expend a considerable amount of social energy attempting to get others to like and appreciate them. And that's true face to face, right? We don't want to be in a group of people where we feel like no one likes us, no one appreciates us. But we do that intentionally through social media when we're sitting alone or sometimes with others, but we're withdrawing, to focus on self-presentation to other people to get them to like us and appreciate us. I think that's an important spiritual and emotional thing for me to think about. Um, behavioral confirmation. This is just in all communication, there's a feedback loop. And so we respond to things that feel good. So like I'm, if I post this thing and it gets a lot of likes or comments that are positive, then I may continue to post those kinds of things, even if that's not really an authentic representation of who I am. Uh, desired identity images, that one's pretty uh, self-explanatory, but um, we're satisfied in relationships that support who we want to be, and that can be positive or negative. So if it's a real component of who I am, that's great, but if it's not, that could be pretty harmful. If I'm always getting support for being someone that doesn't really feel like me, um, then I need to think about that. Reduce communication cues. This is where some of those arguments and fights that turn into bullying or to real life altercations can come in. So we know face to face. So if you and I are having a conversation, I'm going to be watching your body language, your facial expression. So I may say something and you go like, eh. you know, and I think, oh, you didn't like that. 
something I said, and I might ask you, why? Why are you making that face? You know, and then we have a conversation about, well, you know, I don't know if I agree with you on that, or actually, but that kind of offended me, and here's why. So we can have those kind of conversations. We're missing all that on social media. And so what can happen, I had this happen at our church um, last year. I was teaching a group of sixth and seventh grade girls, and two of them got in this fight. Like, at first, it was a verbal, first it was a social media fight. Then it was verbal, face-to-face. And then one of them was, like, hiding and stalking this other one in the church building and saying, I'm going to beat her up. Yeah, and it all started on Instagram. And when we sat them down and we're like, what are you, what's going on? You know, what happened? What are you doing? It turned out that it was a complete misunderstanding because one of them had said something thinking they were being funny and the other one got mad because they didn't think they were kidding. They thought they were being serious. And then they started this huge fight that could have been pretty bad. I mean, it was already pretty bad, obviously, if it got to that point. And it could have even been worse if she would have really beat her up in the church building. It was terrible. And it, and it was all about this. And then asynchronous communication. This is interesting because it just means sometimes there's more time for construction of our message. So we can say, we've all done this. How many of you have written emails? That you never send, <laughs> you know, you know, you get it. and now there's that unsend button. Do you have that on your email? Yes, I just discovered it. You can unsend something, and um, I really like that idea. How far can you go in the <laughs> I know you thought I said that, but it's not gonna show up because I unsent it. Yeah, no, no, it's like only like 30 seconds. It's a really short period of time. You have to think, did I really want to send that? But you can take the time to construct something, and that can be positive or negative, like I said before. So it could be helpful because I really do think about what do I really want to say instead of just firing something off. But in, in a social media perspective, it could be hurtful if I'm, if I'm editing my life in a way that's inauthentic. So I just, I just thought this image was very touching um, and relevant because I think this is what happens sometimes is, is that our kids spend all this time constructing who they want to be and who they want people to see them as instead of just being themselves. And I liked this quote. Um, this is from Gina Torres, and she's just talking about um, the age of social media. She's saying, I don't want to show up at every event. Um, I don't want to tweet everything I do. I have things to say, but that's going to happen face to face. And if we don't have those conversations, then it's none of your business. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think there's some of that we need to start helping our kids think about. Does every thought you have or everything you do need to be shared with the world? Probably not. Uh -huh. Right? Uh -huh. I, I struggled with Facebook when it first came uh -huh. out. I was, I was like, oh, taking a picture of your food and all. And then, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. But anyway, I, I struggle now, and so I really, I was so frustrated. Anyway, well, anyway, it's probably one of the few that I don't check it every day, and mm -hmm. if I post a picture, I don't even know who looks. I don't read comments. I don't send happy birthday messages on Facebook. So if I 
here, I really know you. I'm going to send you a text or I'm going to call you. You might even get a birthday card. So I struggle <laughs> with it, but in my ministry, I feel like I need to have it. To yes, that's hard, that isn't it? It's frustrating yeah. I don't really want it anymore. Yeah. But yeah. As a minister, I think that's so true. Um, and that happens with professors, too, because our students use it. And so I don't, it's like, I don't want to set up a Facebook group or I don't want to yeah. do this or that. But that's how they're communicating. And so with the, I know at our church, they use um, Instagram to send a lot of messages because that's where the kids are. And so it's tricky. And then I wanted to just... Um, briefly talk about authenticity we talked about so yourself and how you present yourself but also the information you're getting and who the person is who you're talking to right so I always tell my kids you may think that's another 14 year old girl but it may be a 60 year old man and you have no idea right all you can see is the picture they put up and who knows where they got that they could have gotten it off someone else's social media because if people have it open, people can copy their pictures. And so that's something we have to think about. And I'm just gonna ask you all, so for yourselves, do you have different ways of judging um, the authenticity of something? If it's personal, so like someone texting or chatting with you, um, or something less personal, like a Facebook post that's open. Um, for public consumption. Do you have ways that you think about how do I know if this is authentic? What are those? How do you judge authenticity on, on social media? History. Okay, yeah. Do I have any, do I know anything about this person? And can I look back and see what they've said? Does it seem to connect? Uh -huh. Sometimes I look at um, who, uh, who do I know that's also looking at them or yes. following them or, you know, that doesn't always right. mean anything either, but it can kind of help to build a yeah. picture for me. What's well, going on? <laughs> all, the, all that fake news stuff, right, and like the Russian bots and stuff, I, now you're like, I don't know, I don't know anybody who, I mean, I know what you mean because I see her and I know, you know, but seriously, people you don't, don't really know. It's important to think about that kind of thing. Uh-huh. I always Google everything. Yeah. It's like if I don't know, I'll just type in like their name and where it says they're from. Uh -huh. Yeah. Who is this person? And should I really believe what they say or share it? That's another thing my mom does is she shares things and I'm like, Mom. <laughs> That's not true. Uh-huh. I, I feel like this is adult have a little bit of radar? Yeah. Is someone trying to sell something yeah. here? Does someone have an agenda they're pushing? Mm -hmm. and that's what I worry about with my kids because yes, they don't have that. They don't. And yeah. I'm like, look, you see how it's all caps right here? That's because they're trying to catch your attention because yeah. they want you to read below because they're trying to sell, mm -hmm. you know, and they don't, they don't see that. And I think that's why we have to have these conversations with them early. Yeah. Early, so I mean, we were talking about maybe you don't let your child start getting accounts until they're in middle school, but even earlier than that. So here's an example, and this is hard if you're a parent, but when my kids were younger, um, I started. So I told them about Facebook, and they could see pictures, right, that people were sharing back and forth. So I would say, do you mind if I share this picture of you? 
And sometimes it was hard because they would say, no, I don't want you to share that. I I really want to share this because your, you know, grandparents are on there and my cousins and people we don't see face to face. But I have to think about, I have to think about giving them example of boundaries and person. So to say, if you don't want that on there, I'm not going to share it. And I have a blog that I write um, that's about a lot of this kind of thing. And I would ask them that too. I'd say, do you mind if I share this story? Or do you mind if I talk about that conversation we had? And make sure that they're thinking about what's being shared and how they feel about it and if they're okay with it or not, whether it's a picture or a story. And we can model that for them so they start thinking about this early on. Uh huh. Uh, and thinking about media in general, not just social media, mm -hmm. for me, especially with young kids, that starts, that conversation starts when they're watching TV yeah. and videos because yeah. so many of the things that are on TV, they throw social media in yes. there, all of these different messages and even looking at the generation selfie, mm -hmm. I mean, you see that kind of stuff happening in even cartoons and different things yeah. there. So the conversation will begin and morph into the social media. Yeah. The, the point is to give your kids but it helped them discern because all they're left to do is to take all of this media yes. in, whether it's TV or right. social media, and then come to their own conclusions. Mm -hmm. But you have to teach your kids how to reason so that they can navigate that. Yeah. And that conversation has got to happen. I think that's a perfect example of how we can start having those. Right. And we have to because you cannot protect your kids from this. No. Um, because they'll see it everywhere. And even if they're not on, what I found was their friends are, and their friends have a smartphone, even if they don't have a smartphone. And then they all start sharing it with each other while they're sitting. Look, let's take this picture and let's share it. And so taking those opportunities and looking for those opportunities to have the conversation early on, they're going to start noticing that when they're in first grade. I remember, I mean, I can remember my... Um, youngest telling me, she was probably in third grade, I need a smartphone. Everybody has a smartphone. I was like, you are not getting a smartphone. You're eight, you know. But she was convinced that she needed that. And then I would go to her school, and there really were a lot of kids with smartphones. And so you're right. I think that's a perfect example of having those conversations early. Um, I just, I want to, we're running out of time. So I'm going to move to a couple of activities. Um, and these are just strategies that you can use as they start thinking about. You can do this with them, like their own social media, but you can also do this with your young kids with other people's. So it might be one of those micro celebrities we were talking about. Who does this person, what are the identity and the digital images they're sharing? Um, if someone doesn't know me, if it's mine, or doesn't know that person, who would they think they were? And how does that compare? Um, talking about editing images. What am I editing and why am I editing? And would someone see me and think, you don't look anything like you <laughs> looked on your Instagram photo. You know, that's silly. That's so silly. Because if we were to meet those people face to face, we want them to know who we are. Um, and which, what kind of things do I choose to show and why? And is there, you know, maybe your child's a competitive swimmer and they want to share um, stuff about that. That's okay, but why is that important? And help them kind of think through the pieces of their life that they're sharing, who they're sharing it with, and why they're sharing it. To make sure that that's an authentic representation. 
of who they are to people who they think should see it? That's another question. Does the whole world need to know that I'm doing this? Probably not most of the time for most of us. Um, to share or not to share. This one has to do with other people. So consent is a huge issue um, for children to start learning early. And so this has to do with what I was talking about with my kids when they were young, saying, I really want to share this story on my blog uh, or, or share this image of you on Facebook. Are you okay with that? And getting their consent, and if they say no, then don't do it. And the reason we do that is because then we're teaching them to do that for other people. We're teaching them how to give consent, how to withhold consent, and making it okay and safe for them to do that. And then to apply that to others. So um, this happens all the time. The nicest kids you know will want to share a bad picture of their friends and think it's funny. And you're like, how would you feel if this was your worst picture? What would you think about that if your friend shared it? Help them kind of think that and, and then discuss that image of other people. That's them. That's their representation. And it's not for you to share unless they say it's okay. And then I think with kids, making rules about that is important, about sharing photos of themselves and other people. I was thinking about others for sure, but even them. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, um, because I study media and, and adolescent development, um, I study the effects of pornography. And so I always tell my daughters, like, don't put pictures of yourself in a bathing suit, especially if that's something somebody could copy and share it with other people because you don't know what's going to happen with that. And it may be very innocent, but, but you don't know where that's going. And today, images can be shared so widely that we have to help them think that through. And then this last one, this is an activity that I do with my college students. So even as adults, we can do this. Um, it's called the digital identity. And what I get them to do is really figure out who they are presenting themselves to be through their digital identity. So we, I have them write down all of their um, social media that they use, um, favorite websites they visit, anything like that, names of blogs they visit. And then they make this new, they make a document um, that says, it get, puts all their profile pictures, anything they've posted, and I really want them to reflect on what they're seeing. So how might others view me if all they saw was this? Does that match who I am in real life? And, and if it doesn't, then what does that say about me and, and, um, and who I see myself as and who I want to be? And what do I need to, well, how do I think about that? I was having a conversation with someone the other day about social media and the soul, <laughs> you know, our spiritual health and how it's connected to the way we're interacting with people <coughs> on here. And I really do think um, there are some challenges for us to think about our learning to love and accept who God made us to be, um, and then this fully edited life that some of us tend to want to live on social media. I, I don't think that's spiritually healthy. Here's a good rule <laughs> for your kids. If you don't want everyone to know it, don't say it on social media. And even we've said, we've noticed with text, right? Because people are starting to share text or email. 
So if you have something sensitive to say, say it face to face. And, and if you can't, I, this, I had this conversation with my 14 year old. Um, she got in an argument with a friend over text and I said, you're not allowed to text her anymore. You tell her if y'all need to have this conversation face to face because when you're sitting there looking at each other, different things are happening relationally. And it's a lot harder to say something mean and nasty when I'm sitting there looking at the face of my friend. And if I am gonna say that, then I have to deal with the consequences. Whereas when I just typing something off, it's just so, especially at that age, so much easier not to think through the real consequences for my relationships. And then I had one more that I thought this was really good. Social media can be used for good. We've seen that. It's been used to raise awareness for a lot of issues, to raise money for really good causes, to help people learn about things, to make people more sensitive to the needs of others. But it can also be used to present ourselves in a way that's not realistic. So I think thinking about how can I use this to impact people, to make life better, to do good, um, is kind of where we can help our kids start seeing it in a different way, from a different perspective. We have just a couple minutes. Any last minute questions, thoughts, comments before we wrap up? I just, I have a 12 year old son. Mm -hmm. He's about to go into seventh grade. And we, he has a Kindle. That is all he's allowed mm -hmm. to have. And, and he has the idea that he's going to make money off of YouTube and college. Oh, yeah. That is his He's going to become a micro celebrity. Yeah, he's going to school. Um, he gets consumed, so we have to be very strict mm -hmm. on. Xbox, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear you saying middle school is the age for Instagram and all that, mm -hmm. it terrifies me. Yeah. Because he doesn't even have a phone mm -hmm. and we are not going to give him one yet. So I just, how do I balance, you know, because yeah. we use the phrase in our family, we choose to do it this way. Yeah. In their family, we do yeah. it that way. So I don't want to inhibit him from getting the tools he needs to yeah. have. But then having that safe boundary because yeah. he gets so consumed with it. Yeah, you know? and I think that's where you have to think about your own child or the children you're working with and say what works for them. Because it may be, I mean, my kids didn't get smartphones even until they were in high school, which they think is just torture, right? Yeah. Um, so if my daughter wanted to use Instagram, <laughs> She has to use it through my phone. Yeah, and that's how we do it now. Yeah. Like Snapchat. So then you is don't have it because I don't have it. Yeah. yeah. And I think you knowing your own child and setting those. Here's the thing. They're not going to miss out on anything really important probably on social media. The only thing that could happen is if like reminders from church or a, a team like my daughter's soccer team or whatever come. But you'll see it. It's right. on your phone. So it's not like they're going to miss out. So we're not the only parents that no, feel like. No, no. And I think the later the better. So if yeah. you can push it off, push it off. Yeah. That's my husband and I work with the youth at our church, and we have a lot of families that don't do so. They don't let their kids have cell phones. Mm -hmm. They don't do social media. And then all of a sudden they get it. You know, like they're and the then sophomore, they don't know and it's do. very different. Yeah. Like their personality changes, or they're on their phone all the time. Yeah. And we're like, oh. I wish so then, go backwards yeah. right so then right. you have to think about how do we introduce this and slowly and help them have, have those conversations we've been talking about, about how to use it in a healthy way. But it's we know it's hard for us. I just saw my sister was calling me while we were talking. And I was like, <laughs> 
you know, it's, it's distracting to you all the time. Uh -huh. Well, I come from a family of educators. So my youngest brother, this child did not get smartphone until this year when he did start high school. Mm -hmm. But they were not um, banned from social media. They had it at home under parental supervision. Yeah. And um, I was working in a middle school, and something happened. But for the whole year, one grade level was banned from in wow. It was a middle school. Makes you wonder what happened. Yeah, yeah it makes you wonder. But I, I really am impressed with the district for taking this yeah. action. And I like that idea of letting them have it in a way that's controlled, slowly moving them into it. So it's not like that. All of a sudden, they've got this thing, and they've got to figure out how to deal with it effectively, because it's hard. Thank you all for being here. I appreciate your time.